where to? You're awake. It's me, Kitty M, the Org Geek. You're here in the land of Pog. We're going to be talking about the politics of gender. But how you actually know more about it? Because of geekery. Come on, player two. Let's go. I'm not the person you should be listening to, player two. Which I admit is a weird way to start a podcast. This is going to be geeky. And I know about geeky. But it's also going to be about gender generally and trans people in specifics. I'm a cis woman. I'm like the alpha version of the game, the untested tabletop rules content. I'm the glitchy parts when it comes to talking about trans and non-binary people. I have thoughts on this stuff, but they're probably not as nuanced and well thought out as people who've actually lived through it. You should be listening to trans and non-binary folk. But here's what I know. I'm good at pointing out when people are wrong. I have a vast knowledge of nerdy. And as a cis person, my voice seemingly has more weight than the people who deserve to be listened to. So I'm going to be using that voice. I'm like the dragonborn. Except I don't want to kill any dragons. Dragons are cool. Anyway, by hitting play, you've opened the portal. It's like an oblivion gate. Can't stop it now. I mean, you can stop listening to me and go and listen to the trans community, but you've already started on this quest, and so much like when the bad guys keep attacking you in Fable 3 if you just don't finish the main quest line, this is your lot now. You're going to be hearing about these issues more and more. But don't worry, I'm going to take you through all this. I'm going to be like the tutorials that no longer happen in games anymore. My goal is to show you that you're more equipped than you know. Yes, even without a degree. Geekery has been training you for this. You're not a wizard, Harry. You're a sorcerer. The power's already there. Though a little more study never hurt anyone. So why am I bringing all of this up? Well, because I stand in solidarity with trans folk. For some context, two things happened in about the last two weeks, but they've been brewing for a while, and I'm going to condense them because it's a lot of stuff and I just really want to start talking about cyberpunk. So, you've got J.K. Rowling, writer of the Harry Potter books, and whatever that other book was. You know, the one where she used a dude's name instead of her own name? Anyway, she takes issue with a number of word choices, possible legislation, and general stuff to do with trans folk, their transitions, and their access to spaces. And she's like, it's a raising biological women. Remember before when I said cis? Cis means that I was born, they looked at me, and were like, Obviously, this child exhibits all signs of being sugar spice and everything nice. It's a little girl. Which actually isn't what happened because the doctor thought my parents wanted a boy, but that's another story. Anyway, they were like, it's a girl Pokemon. And I was. That's why I'm cis. With trans folk, it's like the sorting hat at the very beginning of your life. And they're like, you're Slytherin. And then the kid grows up and is like, actually, man, I think I'm a Ravenclaw. And still others will be like, you got it all wrong, I'm a griffin puff. And actually, if you do the whole Pottermore test, you can find that your different percentages of all of the different houses, because people are on a spectrum and not a specific type, we're complex. But anyway, people like JK Rowling say stuff like biological women for reasons that aren't word economy, obviously. 
And I just think it's a weird take to be like biological women are being erased when you're one of the most recognizable women in the world because you wrote an entire book series where the ratio of well-known characters, not supporting characters, but main characters in the story is what? Three guys to every girl? It just, that's a little strange to me. Then there's Gary Lynham, writer for The IT Crowd, Black Books, Father Ted. He says basically the same things. And he's been very loud for a while about trans women, or more to the point, his concern. Because see, he, he supports women. He doesn't hate trans women, but think of the children. Think of the effects of puberty blockers. And I can say with... 98% confidence, which is more confidence than I have in most things I say most of the time. I guarantee you, puberty was not kind to that man. You do not get to that level of bone-cleaving wit without spending a lot of time hating yourself in your formative years. There's a lot of time glaring into a mirror going, how did this happen? Know how I know that about him? Takes one to know one. As such, though, I think then he is the last person who should be standing in the way of any kid who wants to stop the slow-motion brick wall collision that is puberty. Now, puberty blockers do have downsides, but when you weigh them against the very real trauma of gender dysphoria, mate. And you know what? Even if his puberty was a veritable skip through the tulips, it doesn't matter. It's none of his business. Look at that, we've arrived in the Podtown Square. This is a platform. You'll notice it's empty. It represents Gary Lineman, also known as Glinna, who's being kicked off Twitter for his hatefulness. And I'm glad. Before anyone starts in on the, but freedom of speech means you defend opinions which you don't like. Which what you're doing there, and I see why, you're confusing me with Noam Chomsky or George Carlin. An easy mistake to make. We all have brains the size of a planet. See, they said you should defend other opinions. I have said no such thing. Also, and we'll get into more depth about this, no one has actually stopped Gary Lineman saying what Gary Lineman wants to say. In fact, it looks like he immediately went and took his views to the bastion of political thought, which is Mumsnet, and had a bit of a whinge there. Though apparently, and this is delicious if true, the irony of a man going to a woman's space to complain about not being able to peddle his false fears of trans women actually being men trying to get into women's spaces. This was apparently not lost on at least some of the inhabitants of Mumsnet, and to those women I say, good on you mums. We gotta run into this wall and try and get on a train. You ready, player two? Let's just Oh, there's a specific wall we've gotta run into? That that would explain a lot of things. Let's go find the specific wall. Can't believe I ran into three walls before I got on the platform. That was, that was painful. I don't think, I think maybe just put a door there next time so we don't have to run through a wall. Oh, anyway, I'm glad we're on the train. And now we get to talk about the greatest installment of Harry Potter yet, J.K. Rowling and the Invisible Chalice of Thought Crimes, a.k.a. The Thing That Doesn't Exist. For some reason, people seem to be giving J.K. Rowling a platform. Still. 
it's like that time Voldemort was growing up the side of that guy's head. I, I understand there must have been a payoff for it, but it didn't seem to be worth it, if I'm being honest with you. The irony is not lost on me that the woman whose answer to plumbing in the wizarding world was that they magic their poo away has not considered her own words and how they might deeply impact something as simple but highly important as trans folk being able to access the toilet. And yes, that's a huge part of this whole discussion. People not being able to access areas to just go to the toilet. This kind of behaviour that she's exhibited though, this is the opposite of what Everyone I've met says her work is about. And I can only go on that, on what they've said, because what I've read of her actual work, which is about three or four paragraphs of one book, and I watched some of the movies, but not all of them. I read the wiki, that seemed interesting. I can really only go on what the fandom is saying, though. I've already read Enid Blyton, so I didn't feel the need to reread about magical co-ed Mallory Towers with the wishing chair adventures and faraway tree lollies. That itch had been scratched when Harry Potter came out for me. I was moving on to, like, Anne Rice and Sarah Douglas. No real judgement on those who did read Harry Potter, though, and loved it. I have a stack of Silver Ravenwolf books. None of us left the 90s without a little bit of book shame. But what I can say is this. The best part of J.K. Rowling's work is her fans. Those kids are something else, and by kids I mean people who are a similar age to me as well. The thing they latched onto when you hear them talk about it, the thing they love and, and aspire to be, is kind and good and loud against structures that hold up abuse of power. It's a whole story about resistance against people who say how you were born should dictate your position and access to power and safety. It's about standing up against people who are meant to look after you, who you're meant to look up to and say, you know, you need to do better than this or you are harming me. It's about choosing where we go. Harry literally chooses not to be in Slytherin with the sorting hat, even though he's got all the markers of being a Slytherin. Harry, who has very little sense of self, at least in the beginning, but he knows what he's not. And that's what these stories she's written appear to be. That's what I've seen in the books and heard from the fans. So how do you write that without learning your own lesson? Or at least attempting to? It's almost as though she's just counterfeited those stories, which I'm sure she didn't because she was found to have not plagiarised in a court of law. But now I'm going to tear her arguments apart. The bad ones, not the good ones. I'm also going to be using imaginary worlds to make my case and the reasoning is simple, but it is problematic. And I want to admit that I know that right now. It's problematic because I'm going to be using made-up stories rather than real ones. Real stories are important, but I'm using imaginary ones because I want you to know that this whole idea, that identity and the politics around it, about our gender, our sense of self, is something we're steeped in. I see this in anti-trans arguments or any other sort of arguments that uphold a dominant view. We just get told that these are new ideas. We also get told we're not smart enough or informed enough, and sometimes that is the case. But I want you to know you've already been thinking about this. And I want you to know it's not as daunting as a whole heap of people want you to think it is. It is complex, but you're already on the way. Plus, I know more about constructed worlds and care more about imaginary people than I do about real ones because have you met people? So I'm just going to be playing to my strengths. I'm your gateway, kiddies. If anything I say makes sense to you, don't let this be your one and only reference. 
In fact, don't let it be your reference. Go and find trans and non-binary voices. If you don't know where to start, uh, Laura Kate Dale, Casey Explosion, Brianna Wu, spelt W-U, Jacob Tobiah, Munro Bergdorf, I'm pretty sure they're all on Twitter, and there's obviously so many others, but if you don't know where to start, start there. Read their stories. Listen to their stories. Now, let's break this down. And let's start with thought crime, which... I'm not even going to use the uh, silly avocado voice for this. I use Devi the avocado, if you've never heard of them before, as a way of softening the blow. Devi is my way of putting a voice to the questions that people have that they need answered before they go to the next step. I spent enough time on social media, Twitter especially, that I've seen people launch at someone for asking a question. Now, sometimes people do ask in bad faith, I'm not disputing that. People do it so often, there's even a name for it. But I think there's also this assumption in general that we're meant to be on the same page. While some of us didn't even know that the book existed and this is all a lot to deal with and we're just asking questions. Not saying that in defense of people who are ignorant. I'm saying it because it's been my experience and as I'm not a special snowflake, I'm going to bet I'm not the only one who's had questions. So I use Devi as a way of answering the ignorance that was built into us. I don't think we should feel ashamed because we weren't taught things. I think we should feel angry that we had knowledge withheld. But once we know, we have the responsibility to do something about the things that are wrong in the world. Having said all that, if you've done this next thing, you should feel bad. And I want you to feel a little bit bad. Whenever a rich person shows us what a trash human they are, there's always those few who are leading the charge of rebellion by saying they're punishing us for thought crimes. And then, just like two out of three of the psychics from Minority Report would have predicted, they invoke 1984 and Brave New World as proof that they're the oppressed party, which makes me think they either didn't read those books or they didn't understand them. Those are the only two options. That or bad faith and that couldn't possibly be the case. This ignores a number of things, not least of which is that Equilibrium is a boss film in this genre and no one mentions it enough. Also, We Happy Few has been out for a while now. Why is this not included? As a side note, Minority Report is just Mission Impossible with psychics. Also, Mission Impossible is a silly name. If you can make an entire TV series and a number of movies about a team who continually achieve their mission, that has previously been deemed impossible. After a while, you've got to rename that mission probably, even though the odds aren't great, we've learnt that these guys really get it done. It's not a catchy title, but it's accurate. You know what's not accurate? Terming the current groundswell of criticism against J.K. Rowling and her ilk as her being persecuted for a thought crime, especially when referencing any of those pieces of media. Let's look at thought crime. It's the crime of having a thought. But she didn't just think it, did she? She didn't sit at home, embroidering ovaries on all her clothing and muttering something about double X chromosomes, and then was black bad like in V for Vendetta when she was found to be harbouring the clay mouldings of labia, previously thought to be destroyed by the government. No, that's not the reality of what happened. What happened was she used her sizable platform to regurgitate the bile of an anti-trans group. People told her she was regurgitating hate. Second, in all those pieces of media, and I'm sure many others, but 1984, Brave New World, Minority Report, Equilibrium, Aeon Flux, We Happy Few, the theme and punishment of thought crimes in those stories is enforced by authoritarian regimes. In order for poor JKR to be the victim of being persecuted of a thought crime, 
should have to, in some way, be targeted by the authorities. And I don't know whether you know what's happening over in the UK, but it looks like the authorities are doing the exact opposite of that. It actually looks as though they're reading her tweets and going, you know what, I rather fancy making a suite that's covered in women's rights, but inside it's just a glob of anti-trans rhetoric to stop them going to the loo. <laughs> I don't even think she realises she's doing it. I, I think she actually thinks she's doing something good, and I think Glynna thinks the same thing. So let's look at their arguments. Let's talk about gender theory. Oh, not gender theory. Really? Ah, uh, Debbie, glad you could join us. Yeah, I, I know. A lot of people like to make fun of anyone who says, I studied gender theory. And there's a good reason for that. A lot of people you hear talk about gender theory in mass media, be it on a panel or in a show as a character, they have personalities about as grating as their vocal fry. Which is really annoying, not just because vocal fry, to my ears, is the equivalent of a fork scraping on a plate. It's because the ideas in gender theory are really, really interesting and challenging. But so often we can't focus on that, not because the people talking about it have vocal fry. I mean, sometimes that does put me off, but I can still listen to it. The real problem is that they're snobs. I don't know whether that's by intentional design so we can ignore it or so we don't attempt it, but that's the way it feels. It feels to me like there's a lot of classism around the discussion of gender. Like you have to have gone to university to talk about it. Well, I took a subject of gender theory. You don't need to go to university for it. Not for your day-to-day -day stuff, anyway. And obviously there are people who've studied it, and I think we should listen to what they have to say. And if university was built for someone like me, in my circumstances, I'd go back and probably study something to do with gender. But because I can't do that, doesn't mean I can't think about it or have opinions about it. It doesn't mean you don't have thoughts about it or that you don't know about it. This isn't a new thing. You know about gender. You just don't get asked in really overt ways to think about it. And that's all my gender theory subject was. It was literally like, what is a woman? And we had to ask, what's a woman? And that was the course. And at the end, we didn't have an answer because, spoiler alert, no one knows what a woman is. You can't define that term correctly. It's a really broad term. And that's, in fact, the only answer you can give is, it's broad and we don't know. You've been asked these questions, you just maybe didn't realise because you were having fun while it was happening. Think for a second about cyberpunk, the genre, which has as many snobs in it as gender theory. Um, I can't talk to you about transhumanism until you've finished this required reading list. Which is funny because cyberpunk, whether it intends to or not, highlights the inherent classism in a capitalist society where access to resources is an equal. And people saying, well, you haven't read this, so we can't talk because you don't have a deep understanding of the text and I can't talk to those people, are completely unaware of how they're sounding. These people are very different from the ones who will give you a huge reading list because they're excited for you to join the fandom. So when I talk about the snobs in cyberpunk, I'm talking about the same type of people who say, I can't talk to you about gender theory until you've read Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex. See, that there isn't helping anyone. That there is gatekeeping. And also, have you seen The Second Sex? It's a tome, about as long as some of those cyberpunk novels. You could brain someone with those books. I've got The Second Sex, by the way. I'm reading it. I'm a few chapters in. And to be honest, a lot more B-sex than I thought there would be. 
Now, of course, you should try and expand your horizons so that we can have nuanced, informed discussions about things. We know this as geeks. You go to a convention, you see someone cosplaying an obscure character, and you immediately connect with one another. You can have this discussion that sounds like nonsense to everyone else around you, but you. It's deep and it's rich and it hits all kinds of levels and it's cool. And that's why you should read more and watch more and listen more because discussions become deeper. But I don't think you have time for a reading list right now because you might not know you need to make time for a reading list right now. You may not also realize how far along that reading list you are. You're about to graduate from one step. You're moving on to the bigger stuff. I'm just gonna show you how. So I say all this as a preface to let you know that I'm going to be starting with basic cyberpunk stuff. I'm going to be talking in the broad themes and the most accessible media that I can think of in general to show you how you already know quite a bit about gender theory, actually. And that's the key to understanding why JKR is wrong. There's so much more for us to learn, but you've got a good start. Now, it would be remiss of me to talk about gender without telling you that one of the most accessible stories about the experience of transition is one you've definitely already heard of, if not watched, The Matrix. See? It's a story about transition by trans women. You're already on your way. You just didn't know it. Wait, wait, wait. You're trying to tell me that cyberpunk has taught me gender theory? No. It's about, like, androids and sheep and technology and stuff. Weren't you paying attention? Yes. That's how I know it was teaching you about gender theory. I was paying attention. Also, I'm a lady-type Pokemon, which literally means I have to think about my gender before I think about my human sentience, because there are people who think about my gender and think it negates me being treated like a human with sentience. A big part of cyberpunk, or really anything that deals with androids, robotic enhancements, discusses sentience. Sentience is the ability to feel, and linked into that is how you feel when that stuff makes you feel. For instance, if I lose my arm, I'm going to feel pain. But how am I going to feel about that pain and that loss of an arm? Now, what I feel depends on who I am and how the world around me exists. In a cyberpunk universe, I can just replace the arm. I can replace it with a mechanical arm or a biological arm, depending on what's available to me. So then, how do I feel about the loss of the arm? Do I feel less about the loss of other people's arms? And that's where cyberpunk asks us to question our bodies and how they make us who we are. If they make us who we are. How society dictates who we allow ourselves to be. Ghost in the Shell, still to this day, is one of the best discussions on this. Because we have a character in Kusanagi who is questioning their existence, who they are, what their body, which is largely just mechanical parts that they don't own, says about who they are. And that's a big part of looking at the spectrum of genders. Is your body who you are? Should that alone on the spectrum of genders define how you see yourself and how others react to you? I should point out we have a real world example of this as well. Me having white skin means my pain is taken more seriously. Me being a woman means it's not taken as seriously as when a man is exhibiting pain. Why? Because cyberpunk isn't the only society where the skin we're in dictates how we are treated. Wait, 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 though. You kept saying spectrum of genders. There's only two. But nah. People always say this and then they talk either about genitalia or XY chromosomes. This is because year eight biology does not cover anything in great nuance because it's year eight. I'm not a scientist. But let me see if I can put this in really simple terms. With genitalia, we have intersex people. 
they exist. So immediately your binary argument of gender being intimately tied up with whether genitals are an innie or an outie doesn't work. Also, how do you make that judgment? If gender is defined solely on the contents of your pants garden, why aren't we all walking around sans a bottom half of clothing? I'll tell you why. It's cold and no one else's business. As for chromosomes, which are even less displayed than our genitalia, at least in polite society, you don't know what you have. There are cis women, right? Women who were born, everyone went, that's a lady. They were brought up as women. They've done everything biologically that a woman with double X chromosomes have done, right? They've, they've had children. And then it turns out they've got a Y chromosome. Now, that's all very super simple in terms of genitalia and XXXY chromosomes and all of that, but that's the basics of it. And this is also before we get to the fact that there are also multiple cultures where gender is a spectrum. Your genitalia doesn't tell you who you are. It does a lot of cool stuff, but it doesn't do that. Why do you think there's so much in our culture, popular culture, mythology, art, where the idea of gender is wibbly-wobbly? Star Trek is a good example. Data's child, he leaves it up to them to decide how they identify, becoming the only good gender reveal party ever, by the way. Also Dax, who's an immortal being who experiences life in different bodies, different genders. In Altered Carbon, someone's sleeve doesn't change who they are, how they identify, it just changes what people can see, which is not the same as someone's personality. Chuck Palahniuk has a book with a character who changes bodies, I'm not going to tell you which one, it's a surprise. How about in games? Slanesh, She Who Thirsts, Prince of Darkness, from the Warhammer universe. The only being that truly frightens and excites the Dark Elves and Dark Eldar, who, by the way, have some really strict rules on gender. Slanesh, however, straddles the two endpoints of gender, but go ahead and tell them they have to choose one. I implore you. Or look at the Poetical Prose Edda, right? Norse mythology, from a culture that did have some very strict gender rules, where men were men and gods were gods, and also sometimes those gods were lady horses who got pregnant and then had eight-legged foals who grew up to be Odin's steed. See how gender is wibbly-wobbly? It always has been, and we've always known it is. It's just you may not have always had to think about it, especially if your gender journey is something you've always seen represented. And before you say there is no gender journey, uh, the Travelling Pants movie, then all the Bridesmaids movies, then First Wives Club and Grace and Frankie and or Golden Girls. Those are all gender journeys. Yeah, okay, but, but with Rowling. She wasn't saying different genders don't exist. She was just saying that women shouldn't be erased. And that is basically what she said, while erasing other genders. And this is where JKR really came a cropper. It started with a story about people who menstruate, and she's all, I think there's a term for people like that, and then used some of her low-budget silly vocab to infer women was the correct term, completely ignoring that at least some trans men and non-binary people also menstruate. And I don't know whether people who menstruate is the best term. From an accessibility point, some people don't know what menstruate means. So maybe there's another way to put it. I know I've been just called a bleeder. That might seem quite grim, but the reason I include it is I want you to know I understand the false platform that Rowling is standing on. It's a platform that looks a lot like concern for women, but is actually a springboard of fear. 
fear we rightfully have of being erased, but is too often weaponized against those of us who are not the ones erasing us. It's a springboard easily dismantled the moment you start listening to trans people and what they're actually saying. When you realize they don't want to erase cis people, they want to exist and go to the toilet. Rowling and the people who've fed her this trash like it's a bad Harry Potter-themed lolly that everyone pretends tastes nice, but it doesn't, they'll tell you that using words like people who menstruate erases the struggle of women and the demonization of our periods. I know this because I took a few sips of that Kool-Aid and the aftertaste is about as palatable as those lollies. The truth is, and I say this as a woman now, who grew up being told by society to be ashamed of something that my body just does, a number of things that my body just does, there's never been a better time for cis women when it comes to talking about our periods. No one's saying we can't. The fact that pad ads no longer have the blue liquid is an achievement. That's happened in my lifetime. The fact, though, that sanitary items and bins are not available in all toilets for free the way toilet paper is, that is an erasure of periods. And all this talk that they make is in bad faith. JKR and the like will tell you that having a period is part of being a woman, and it's a feminist ideal to uphold that, while ignoring that intrinsically linking a woman to her biological function is exactly the same thinking we're trying to move away from. The idea that you can categorise a woman by what her body can and does do is counter to feminism. In Blade Runner, there's a number of women who are like androids, basically. If they can have children, are they women once they have the baby? Or were they always women? In Ultimate Otaku Teacher, the trans student is not considered a boy because she doesn't menstruate. She's considered a girl because that's who she says she is. Ah uh, yeah, but what about Jack in the Chronicles of Riddick movies? Jack is a girl who presents as a boy and who everyone treats as a boy because it's safer to be a boy. Jack doesn't suddenly become a girl because you find out she has her period. She was always a girl. It's just that there is an added safety looking like a boy. That safety hinges on a few things, and I don't mean to say that men don't experience violence, of course they do. But women dressing as men to attain a degree of status or access to power or simply safety, this has been true throughout history. And stories of it are in geekery. Like Terry Pratchett's The Monstrous Regiment. If you are looking for a new fantasy author, let me recommend Sir Terry as a brilliant starting point. There's technically less lollies than in Harry Potter, but there's a lot more women characters. And trust me, as a woman who exists in the world, it's much better for a passing car to assume I'm a man than a woman. When I look like a dude, no one sexually harasses me. And some people might flirt with me, but I can't blame them. I'm very handsome. Speaking of Sir Terry, though, at no point in Discworld does another lady character turn around to Cheery, who does not follow the gender norms of her dwarf culture, which, when you look at it, they sort of erase all gender in dwarf culture because they don't see it as important, but they replace it all with masculine gender, right? So when Cheery is overtly femme, none of the other women are like, your identity erases my identity. The reason none of the other women characters do that is because they all get that adding someone else's thread to the tapestry of a group only makes the picture more vivid. Also, it's none of their business. Okay, alright, but like, 
if someone needs surgery to be like a woman, then they're not really a woman because, you know. What? Like Kusanagi, Robocop, Captain America, The Drowned, literally all space marines? Our pop culture is filled with characters with enhancements of technological, biological, chemical design. None of which change how you view their gender or how they view their gender. If you can look at a space marine or Robocop, who are all mostly just metal, in your heart of hearts you know you identify them as men. So how can you look at a trans man and go, but is he really? And when you go down the surgery path, you're also saying that anyone who has plastic surgery isn't real. It's real simple. Gender is not a talent tree that you put points into. Okay, but I mean, you mentioned toilets, and, and Gary Lineman and J.K. Rowling make a good point. We've got to keep women's spaces safe for women. I agree. Which is exactly why trans women should be overtly welcomed into women's spaces. These are their spaces too, and they deserve to be safe. Tell you where they're not going to be safe. Men's bathrooms. There's a danger there. Yeah, but what about men who pretend to be trans women? Predators are going to be predators no matter what the space was intended for. It seems weird to me that I have to explain this in a discussion about the thoughts of JKR, who literally wrote a number of adults who were not safe for children to be around in an institution built for children. In a book series and movie franchise where the only good dark arts teacher was a werewolf who ended up not being able to teach at the school because of small-minded parents who didn't understand that even though his physical form was in flux, he was not a danger to kids. It's weird that I have to explain that. Trans women are not the problem here. Okay, well, then they're allowed in bathrooms, but I, I think only the ones that have had surgery. <laughs> How are you policing that exactly? Are you going to be able to tell who is and isn't? One of the best lines in the Alien franchise is when someone says to Vasquez, who, let's face it, is not a gender-conforming woman, whether she's ever been mistaken for a man, to which she replies, No. Have you? Are you about to tell her she can't go anywhere, much less the toilet? Because, buddy, she will stand on your throat, and while that's not a wholly unpleasant-sounding prospect, that's not the spirit in which you want it to happen. But then how do we know? You don't. But that's what JKR and her ilk don't realise or don't care to think about, is that we've never known. Humans are okay at gendering one another, but we're not great at it. And when we try to place a whole heap of rules on what constitutes a gender, we're hurting trans folk the most. But they're not the only ones. I know this because people used to get my gender wrong a fair bit. Even when wearing a skirt, once while I was wearing a swimsuit. It was a racing swimsuit and I had a swim cap on. But it was a swimsuit. And I was an early developer. Like I said at the start, I'm a cis woman, right? So why would people mistake me for a dude? Well, because I have broad shoulders, a deep voice, and handsome features. Everyone just thought I was a pretty boy when I was growing up. And that did mess me up. To the point where I wasn't hateful, but I really did cling to rigid ideas of gender being based in biology, while being an example of how that's silly. Here's an example. I said my voice was deep. You may be thinking, well, it's not that deep. That's by design. I was told my voice was too deep. I worked in radio. I changed it. I physically worked at changing my voice as a cis woman because I wasn't woman enough. I stopped working out as a teenager 
so I could make my body smaller again, more femme. I've only just started wearing singlets on a regular basis in the last few years because of my shoulders, because no matter how little I exercise my arms, I can't change my bone structure. Player two, I turned 35 soon. Do you know how many years were spent not wearing singlets? Because how people have decided what a woman looks like? The truth is, your body doesn't tell you who you are or who anyone else is. That can be scary, because then it's just in your head. What if you're wrong? Good news, there is no wrong. JKR and her lot are the only wrong ones. We are in constant character creation mode. You define you. You are not a preset. You change. You evolve like a Pokemon or that guy with all the Dragon Balls. I know you must have more questions, but the tutorial's over now. Now the real work starts, and here's the advice I can give you. Listen. It's the hardest thing to do. But there are many, many trans voices out there, and I want you to listen to them, and then keep listening, and then listen again, and be a voice when absolutely necessary. But be prepared to get it wrong when you speak, and have people call you out. I'm sure someone will point out my mistakes in this, and they should. Being an ally is like accidentally using your shout in Skyrim in a town. Everyone gets that your voice is loud and powerful and you're the dragonborn, but it's not always appropriate to use it. If someone calls me out on something that I didn't know was problematic, I'm going to cop it sweet. It's going to hurt, but I'm going to cop it because that's how you be a good party member. Now, I don't usually ask for coin at the end of these, but I would love it. If you donate some money to LGBTQAI plus groups, particularly those who focus on helping trans people of color, they're some of the most vulnerable in our community, and I think we should help them wherever we can. My personal faves are Black Rainbow, but see if you can find groups in your area. If you don't have money, look at what LGBTQAI plus rights are like where you live and listen to advocacy groups about how rights are being threatened or infringed. Stand with people, even if it's just a ballot box, even if it's just highlighting issues with friends and families. It's a good start, but it's not the end. You can find me on the hell site known as Twitter, at ChaosKittyM. I hope this was informative, Player 2. Until next time. <laughs>